hope you've been keeping up, maybe you're doing some side reading while you're at home, but we're continuing that story of Mr. Saul as he's come to know the Lord, and there's been a drastic change in the life of Saul. He's way different than he used to be. I wander in this place today. Uh, is there anyone here who can relate to that drastic change that Saul experienced in his life? I know when the Lord got a hold of me and he changed me, it was, it was forever. And I was, you know, I was a ruffian at 15 years, 15 years of age, you know, when I uh, accepted the call to ministry. I was nine when I accepted the Lord as my Savior. So I was a pretty hardcore gangster back in the day at nine years old, you know. It was, it was a, it was a rough time for, for me. But, but the Lord changed me, right? And if it wasn't for the Lord, I know where I would be today. A lot of people say, well, I don't know where I'd be at today. I, you, I know where you would be. Without the Lord, you'd be lost. I know where I would be today. Saul understood that. He experienced a God who loved him. And if you'll turn to Acts chapter 9, we'll start there with verse 20. This is coming, of course, immediately after he had accepted the Lord. He said that the, the Holy Spirit had filled him, that the scales had fell from his eyes, and then he ate. And what does he do after that? Verse 20. And immediately after, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Mark that in your notes, guys. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name? And he's not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. God, we love you. Your work of the gospel, your, your holy word at work in the lives of believers, it changes us, God, and it brings us to a point of unity. God, our call today, our cry for, for the church, not just in America, but the church around the world, is that we as believers in Jesus Christ would Continue to be united in you. And Father, if we veered off, God, bring us back. That we may focus on you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Lord, what a, what a big blessing we have in the message of the gospel. What power that we have. 
We ask this in your most holy name. Amen. You know, in the early 1500s, there was this German monk. His name was Martin Luther. I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't mention Martin Luther in the month of October leading into November 1st, right? Got to talk a little bit about Martin Luther, the, the leaders, quote unquote, of the Reformation, which by the way, there were a lot of leaders of the Reformation. Martin just kind of gets the name. He gets the, he gets the moniker as the leader. But what we know about this man by the name of Martin Luther, he was a monk. Uh, he was raised up. Um, he, he was taught some good things. You know, he was raised up in Augustinian thoughts. Um, uh, the, the Catholic Church was very much um, Augustinian in their beliefs as far as how we're saved. And as good as Augustine was, he missed a lot of points as to how we're saved. There was a lot of good stuff about Augustine. I I read him. I I enjoy his readings. But he missed some things about salvation that basically, guys, we cannot earn our salvation ever. And Martin Luther, when he's reading uh, in Romans, and basically he gets to Romans 1 in in that chapter, he basically calls Romans 1 the very gates of paradise. That when he read them for the first time, or maybe when he read them for the millionth time, we don't know. But when he read Romans chapter 1, it was like the gates of heaven opened up and at once he was saved. Because he understood that it's the power of the gospel that saves us. It's not works. It's not a priest. It's not a pope. It's not a religion. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. How many of you guys can relate to that today? I look here and I see that Martin Luther, he becomes so convinced of the salvation and how it's by grace through faith alone. And that's it. This is, man, this is like his, he's going to go on this hill and he's going to die on that hill. That's a battle worth fighting, you know. And he says this about Romans. I know we're in the book of Acts, but I, but I, I want us to look at the book of Romans too in the, in the sense that we're reading about the conversion of Saul in Acts. But when you get to Romans, Now you get to hear the testimony of Paul to the church in Rome. When you get to the rest of the epistles, who are you hearing from? Paul. There's a a drastic change that, that what we're seeing here is important. I want you guys to understand here that in the book of Acts, it is important that we read every bit of this because this, this is really telling us the full story of what happens in a church and in believers who are truly following after God. But he talks about Romans, um, Martin does, and he says that this epistle is worthy not only of every Christian that they should know it word for word, not only that they should know it by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every single day. Every day. And how should he occupy it? As the daily bread of the soul. He says we can never read it or ponder over it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I think it's interesting, you know, that that as we're we're thinking about the Word of God, how how many of us read the Word? Don't raise your hand. But how many of us read the Word of God in depth every single day that it's sweet to us? You know, Martin Luther later said that, that we become in trouble when the Word of God and reading the Word of God becomes troublesome. When we pull back from reading the Word of God, we're going to get in trouble every single time. The beauty in the Reformation is that we we see a a bunch of people who come together and and they begin to, once again, go to the Word of God for themselves. You know, I think I mentioned it last week. I know I mentioned it on Wednesday night that Martin actually said at one point he'd written so many books and songs and uh, credos and all that. He'd written all this stuff that people had been reading uh, in the church. And he said that he wished that all that stuff would go away and people would just get back into the word of God, right? He says, I wish people would quit reading my stuff and read what God says. 
Guys, we need to value the word of God. That this is important what we are doing right now. Looking into the word of God. And what happens to Saul here? It's, it's a beautiful thing, right? You, you see a guy who at one time he's proclaiming a religion. And he goes from that to proclaiming the gospel. And if I was to say anything, the first thing is that proclaiming the gospel is power. You guys say power for me. Say power. Power just has a, a powerful ring to it, doesn't it? Power. You ever walk in a room and turn the light on and go, power, you know? You ever do that? You ever start your car and go, power? Well, probably most of y'all do, except the people that drive Fords. Y'all don't do that so much, but... <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like power has this, this, this ring to it, doesn't it? It's, it has this power, this, this, this power has a power ring to it. But when you proclaim the gospel, I don't want you guys to think that just telling someone that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is weak. It's not. And when you point someone to the Bible, don't think it's weak. It's not. Proclaiming the gospel is power. It's power. I mean, I want you to look there in verse 20. We see Saul... After he gets saved, right? I want you guys to think about this for a moment. Saul is proclaiming that Jews should live in this way and that we should honor God in this way. And then all of a sudden, Jesus blinds him and he spends a few days thinking about it. You know, Jesus kind of sends him in the corner and go, go think about this, man. Because I have no doubt that Paul knew God, right? But, but the way that he was preaching to get to God was wrong. So Jesus is like, come here. Paul, I want you to sit down. I'm going to blind you. I want you to sit here and think about it for a minute. Don't you move. For three days, he sits there, and then he sends somebody to help him, right? But immediately after the scales fall, immediately after he gets his strength back, it says that he begins to proclaim the gospel. He begins to proclaim Jesus right away. You know what happens in the modern church today? Some of us get saved and we may wait five, six, ten years before we even proclaim Jesus. When was the last time you proclaimed Christ? When was the last time that you preached Jesus to your friends and your family or to those around you? Because I know the example here is not five, ten years. It's not after you go to seminary. It's not after you memorize Romans. It's not after you do any of this. It's immediately after you're saved, you go and tell other people about it. In other words, I believe this, that there is an urgency in the gospel. There is an urgency that you and I need to get on board with. That we don't need to wait till next Sunday to go invite someone to church. We need to do it today. We don't wait till next summer when False Creek hits and VBS, right? Jesse, we're not going to wait to tell people about Jesus until we get to Turkey. That's going to be easy to tell people in Turkey because if they don't like it, they're never going to probably see me again, right? Unless they get saved and I'll see them in heaven, and that's a good thing. But we have to be a people who have a sense of urgency, and Saul grabbed that. He, he understood that. I mean, for crying out loud, he just had scales fall from his eyes, and he once again saw, not just physically, but spiritually, he saw. You know what, church? I think there's a call for us today to immediately get up and proclaim the gospel. But today is the day. We're real quick to bring people in, you know, and we'll say, hey, y'all need, need to come in here and you need to be saved. But there's some of us that need to get to work. If we spend all day just telling people what, how they're wrong and we don't look at ourselves, man, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, we need to get to work. We need to be a little bit critical of ourselves sometimes. Don't you agree? And say, you know what? That's a problem. 
But let's never forget that proclaiming the gospel is power. Never forget that. I, I believe this. I think sometimes that you and I, that we, um, we kind of come to a realization in church that well, we, we need to reach people. You know, I look, I look around today, there's not, there's maybe not as many here today as there normally is. Maybe there is. I don't know, maybe there's people doing other things. But, but you know, in church, you kind of have these Sundays where there's more people and then Sundays where there's not less people. You know, Wednesday nights, some weeks we'll have, man, we're packed house. Sometimes we're not. It's just the nature of church. But as believers in Jesus Christ, what I want you to understand today is that we are to proclaim it with power all the time. You know, if, if I show up on a Wednesday night and there's three people sitting in here for Bible study, I still preach it, right? You guys have been here. Some of y'all have been here when there's been three people or two people or one people or no people. I had not had that yet. There's always been at least one of you. But if I was to come on a Wednesday night and this place had 300 people in here, that'd be great too. But I shouldn't preach more powerfully in one situation than the other. We should always proclaim it because here's the thing. The gospel is power. I, I like, uh, you know, this week I'm going to set in on some, uh, uh, some video conference stuff about church growth. Yeah, I know. I preach against it all the time. But there's some good stuff I can glean from this. You know, the, some of the guys that are speaking uh, during uh, this time are, are very, you know, blessed men who have, who, have, who have given their lives to proclaiming the gospel and growing their churches and, and being good disciple makers. And that's what I want to be more, right? Um, and these are good things, but I hope that when I'm going through this, I hope that at the center of all this, that the gospel is the center. Because that's the power, right? We can have the best coffee in town, have the softest chairs, the perfect air, the perfect lighting. You can have all everything perfect and still be missing the gospel. And if we don't, if we want to do one thing right in church, I think we need to understand that, that the power in saving people is not all that stuff. The power in saving people is the gospel itself. You know, I have no doubt that, that this church, that as we continue to grow and love Jesus and bring others to the Lord, um, this place is going to look drastically different as time goes on, right? You know, I know, uh, Janet, we were talking a little bit earlier today, but you know, we're going to get to meet this week about budget stuff. I know, fun, right? But honestly, it is fun. Like there's some things budgetary-wise that it's going to look different this year than it did last year, and that's a good thing, right? That, you know, we have, we have other needs, we have other areas that need to be funded, and so that's okay. Is a little bit more work sometimes. But I think what we're seeing is an example of what the gospel's doing in people's lives. You know, um, just the power that we have in the word Gospel, sure, but, but the, 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 the implications of what the gospel can do in your life is powerful. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of y'all were changed when you come to Jesus? All right? Hopefully. There's a couple of y'all weren't changed. Y'all were already good, right? <laughs> but I know this. I know this is that it is power. And honestly, I, I went to a church camp um, growing up. Uh, where I was saved was at a church camp. And all that was cool, but I, I'll be honest with you. I can't tell you what I had for supper that night. I can't tell you what games we played that day. I can't tell you anything, but I can tell you this, is that the preacher got up there and told me that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And I remember that. You know where the power is at? It's not in the games and the food. The power is in the gospel. If there's anything we can focus on as believers is that. We need to be, become comfortable. And I said this a few weeks ago. You need to be comfortable in sharing your testimony. 
That needs to be something that you're just like, man, I'm just shooting it out there because you do it so much. You're sharing how good God has been to you. And so what we look here is that Saul doesn't wait around. He doesn't, he doesn't go to seminary. He doesn't you know, get uh, his credentials or anything like that. He just goes right to preaching Jesus, it says. And there's power in that. There's power in that. It reminds me of Romans. I mean, he writes this later, of course, but, but Paul writes in Romans 1, 16, that he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God. Why would we be ashamed of the gospel? Somebody, you know, somebody answer that question for me. Why would we be ashamed of the gospel if it's the very power of God, right? I'm not ashamed of it. It's kind of like when, you're, when your team is doing great one year. And man, you're just talking smack to everyone, aren't you? I've got, I've got friends who are, who are big OSU fans. And they, man, you think that OSU had won like the, 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 the greatest team in the universe award or something, you know? Like they cannot be beat. I've got friends who are talking that way right now. Which, by the way, I've got friends who are OU fans. And they talk that way every year because OU always wins. But anyways, that's a different, that's a different situation here. I'm just kidding, by the way. I just like to stir the pot. I know we're half and half here. But hear me out. When our team, maybe when our political party, whenever something we're associated with is doing well, we talk really big about it, don't we? We do. When the Thunder's doing well, we talk good about them. It's been a while. They did win Wednesday night. That's pretty cool. I got really excited about that, and I don't know why. (laughs) Here's, here's what I want you to understand. If the gospel is the power of God, then why aren't we proclaiming it from the rooftops? It's the power of God. It's not the power of Daniel. It's not the power of our church. It's the power of God. And Paul, not yet, Saul, he proclaims the name Jesus because it was the power. The second thing I would say is that proclaiming the gospel is life Changing, it's life too. I guess maybe I forgot changing on there. But proclaiming the gospel is life changing. It's life changing. Look, look at the life. Is, I mean, just, just a few words back, if you want to just gauge it by that. But a few words back, we see where Saul is proclaiming a religion, but now here he's proclaiming the gospel. It's completely life changing. Amen. It, it, it's a, it stretches the imagination that all of a sudden, you know, he was looking at life like this, but the gospel, the gospel did this. And all of a sudden he's seeing the big picture and he's proclaiming the big picture to the world. And it's not just changing Saul. Who else does it change? It doesn't just change the sinners that are around him. Guys, I love this. It changes the ones who are following Jesus in the moment. Because they look at Saul and they're like, he's a killer. You know, that dude, he's killed people. Why are we trusting him? But then as he preaches, some of them begin to say, you know what? He's pretty legit, right? He's got it going on. He's, he, he's preaching the right thing. This man really is a disciple. I know some people still were like, ah, I don't know if he's a disciple or not. But the thing about the gospel, and I think we experience this in church because I do it all the time. I, I, I feel this all the time. Is that there are times in, in ministry where I see you guys doing ministry and that encourages me. Like it pumps me up. When you guys proclaim the gospel, it's life-changing, not just for you and not just for the people hearing it, but it's, it's life-changing for the rest of the church when they see it. Last week, we, uh, we did our dinner, of course, before our business meeting, and, and that was great. I love that. We raised almost $1,000 at a potato dinner. 
You guys, man, that's awesome, right? Pat on the back, all that jazz and stuff. But you know the reason we did that? We're doing that because we want to take the message of Jesus to people who don't know it. We, we, we uh, basically, when, I, when we look at our trips and stuff, a lot of our trips are funded, you know, but, but you guys, I, I, we wanted to do it this way because I, I understood that you as believers, that I wanted you involved in this, in this journey too, right? Just like when we do the, the, the ministries uh, um, through the Southern Baptist Convention, the different, the cooperative programs and things like that, the Lottie Moon coming up, right? All these, all these different offerings that we take, we're all coming together for what? For the same reason. And the reason is because it's powerful to proclaim the gospel and it's also life-changing. Do you guys realize, and I have no doubt about this, that when we go to Turkey, that there are going to be people's lives changed forever? My prayer right now is, and man, Jesse and I are on the same page. We don't want to go over there and just say, oh, I've been to Turkey. <laughs> I want to go to Turkey and say, man, I came back and, and there's like, there's, a, there's 1,500 people who know Jesus now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking big like that. Like there's, there's a church in Pergamum now because we went over there and preached the gospel while looking at some ruins and a bunch of people come to Jesus and now there's a church there and it's so big and it's so powerful by the gospel's power that the government's like, you know what? Let's let them, let's let them meet. <laughs> let's let them meet. I, I pray that the work that we do in Turkey is not just minuscule. I, pr I pray that it reaches out to the, to the government as well. Amen. It's life-changing. Saul, again, man, he went from proclaiming religion to proclaiming truth. And so when we wrap our minds, when we wrap our hearts around God's gracious work in the gospel, and we root ourselves in Jesus, we find strength and power to change. Because the power to change only comes from God alone. Through the message of the gospel. It's kind of a theme here, isn't it? Like, I think the more that we preach the gospel, the more powerful we become in the power, in, in the work of God. And I don't think we should do it so we can say, well, look how powerful I am, you know? You guys ever watch uh, like Lord of the Rings? Huge Lord of the Rings fan here, right? They've come out with like this new, like uh, previous, or, you know, this, this, this show that it's all about what happened before, like the Lord of the Rings and what happened before, way, way, way back, okay? And, and there's, some, there's some like hints as to who some of these people are, but you don't really know who they are in the moments. But you get into like the actual Lord of the Rings, the, the trilogy. You know, one of my favorite scenes in, throughout all of it is when Gandalf, he's been gone for a while and everybody thinks he's like gone, right? They don't know where he's at. He's, he's, uh, he, he's kind of stood up for everybody and, and he protected his people and he told them to fly, you fools. You know, he told them to do all of that. And then what happens? He's gone for a while, but then he comes back. There's a big battle about to happen. And in that scene, I, I'll never forget it because Gandalf the Grey comes back as Gandalf the White. And he's on a white horse. And he's coming up over the hill and it's like, like lights, you know. And like all the, all the, the bad guys are all cringing because of the lights coming down upon them. And here comes a man who's, who's sure of himself. Like, like all through the life of Gandalf, you kind of see that, you know. It's kind of like, huh, what's this, what's this guy really about? But then in that moment, you see where he's sure of who he is and he comes over that hill and he defeats the enemy. And church, what I want you to understand is like, we have a power that's way more powerful than Gandalf's power, okay? Now I understand that that story's written kind of, you know, with some biblical things thrown in there. Like, yep, yep, I get it, I get it. But here's what I want you to understand. We have a power that's bigger than that. That when we walk into a room, when we walk into a situation, that, that it's like us being 
a big white wizard on a white horse and we're coming in. It's like the light's so bright, the darkness has to flee. The gospel is that powerful. Let's quit being beat down Christians who think, you know what, I can't help that person because they're addicted to a drug. I can't help that person because they're addicted to pornography. I can't help that person because they've been married 1,500 times. I can't help that person because they're of this religion or they're of this political affiliation. What we have to understand is that the gospel is powerful and the gospel is life-changing. And if you preach it, it's going to work great things. I have friends who are fishermen. And there's certain things that you throw to certain fish. Am I right? You know, you can't just go out there. If you go into the, the ocean, you can't just go out there and throw a, a good old Oklahoma earthworm. It's probably not going to work as well. You've got to use certain things. But what we know, what we know as Christians today is that the gospel's for everyone. It's that bait that everyone needs to hear. They need to hear this. Every single person in the entire universe needs to hear about Jesus. And what do we need to be doing? We need to be throwing a line. Jesus did tell his disciples, he says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, right? I think that, that speaks to them. You know, uh, I've had several conversations with people this week about why like certain writers or maybe even Jesus himself said ways, said things certain ways in scripture. Like, why did he say it this way? There's a purpose in everything. But I believe when you, when you talk about Jesus and he's, him telling his disciples, you're, <laughs> you're going to be disciples, yes, but you're also going to be fishers of men. You're going to go out there and you're going to do a work. And why is that? It's because the bait's for everyone. The message is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. It's, it's powerful enough for everyone. It's powerful for what? So we can grow our churches and we can all look great. No, it's powerful because it changes people for the glory of God. And what we learned about last week is that we're not just saved for our own purpose, but we're saved so that God might be exalted. It's powerful. The gospel is that way, and it's life-changing. I was mentioning Martin Luther. I've been reading a lot of Martin Luther this week, but I don't know if you can tell or not. But Martin Luther talks about this. He says, we should overcome heretics with books, not with fire as the old father's dead. Of course, he's probably saying this because they're threatening to burn him at the time, you know. But, but I think the point is well taken, is how do, we, how do we combat heresies? How do we combat false teachings in our world today? It's by the gospel. It's by the gospel. We know that that's exactly what changes things. It's a life-changing power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last thing I would say out of this passage of Scripture this morning is that the gospel is not only powerful and life-changing, but it's also dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. I, I, I could do a talk right now, I suppose, about like how many people lose their life for the gospel every year. I mean, honestly, uh, the, the, I, we know for a fact that uh, the 1900s, the 20th century, that it, there was way more people killed for the gospel there during the 20th century than all the centuries combined. There was that many people killed in the 20th century for Jesus. And we often think, oh man, we think, oh, like all the martyrs were first century. No, they weren't. I mean, you have to think about it this way. The church has spread around the world. And so now you've got people around the world. The church has grown. So therefore you're going to have more people who die for Jesus because of 
the governments that be, the cultures that are. But the gospel's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous in that way, but that's what we talk about all the time. I mean, there's whole organizations that are focused on people who die for Jesus, and we get it. You can die for Jesus, right? I've had people say, well, you need to be careful while you're in, in Turkey. I get it, but you know, I could die for Jesus in downtown Oklahoma City too. I've had brothers in Christ who have died in their church for Jesus in America, in the South. You know what I mean? Like, like this is exactly uh, the point is that you can die anywhere for Jesus. But the gospel message itself, it's powerful enough to change us. It's life-changing for those who hear. But guys, it is dangerous. And it's not just dangerous physically, but the gospel is dangerous to our man-made philosophies. Going back to Saul, he had all these philosophies. This is how you get to God. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way you're supposed to look. This is the way you're supposed to dress. This is what you're supposed to say. This is what you're supposed to eat. This is what you're supposed to not eat. He knew all of that stuff. But Saul learns by the power and the life-changing work of the gospel is that it destroyed all of those thoughts. Because what we know in scripture is that there is one way, one truth, and one life, and that is Jesus. It's dangerous. If you go preaching the gospel around people who have different worldviews, (laughs) there's going to be pushback. I guarantee it. You know, Uh, you're going to have it every single time. And it's not, you don't even have to be rude about it. You can just say, well, I just believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there are people who are going to push back on it. It's like they had an open cut on their hand and you poured, you know, alcohol or all over their cut. And they go, oh, they're going to get all offended by it, right? It's dangerous. That's a good danger. Because when we look at the life of Saul, I'm glad that it was dangerous. I'm glad the gospel was a dangerous thing for him. That he had to look at it. He had to, he had to th- think it over a few times. I really believe this. I think that Saul, long before he went blind, was already hearing the truth in the gospel. He had heard Stephen preach it. He had heard some of the others preach it. Countless others that he had killed, he heard them preaching the gospel. And I believe that when, when Saul would lay down at night, he would think about it and it would, it would kind of fit with his scriptures. Like, oh yeah, there's supposed to be a Messiah who comes. Like he's thinking all this all along and then finally Jesus slaps him and he goes blind and he has a little bit of time to think about it. And the danger in the gospel for the world anyways, not so much for us, is that it did change his worldview. It changed everything. And he didn't even care that people didn't believe him. He still just preached the truth anyways. (laughs) Can you imagine going to church and people didn't want to hear you preach at church? You know, I mean, they're like, well, we don't want to hear you because, well, you used to live this way. He still did it anyways. He still preached anyways. The gospel's dangerous to our man-made philosophies. The gospel is dangerous to sin-ridden lives. Man, instead of thinking, man, I, I, the, the gospel might get me killed. Think about this. The gospel might have your neighbors saved if they hear it and they respond. The, the, gospel, the gospel, yeah, it may be dangerous to go to third world countries or other countries. It may be dangerous to go to a Muslim country. But the thing is, is that the gospel, even though it may be dangerous to me, the gospel is also dangerous to those people's ideologies and their sin-ridden lives. The gospel can change them. The gospel is dangerous to the work of the enemy. I want you guys to think about this. We've already stated it today, but how do we continue to make a life-changing Message to the community in McLeod, we just keep preaching it. 
I know this, this may seem silly to some today, but um, this past week I got a phone call, and uh, it was the McLeod football team parents. <laughs> I don't know if they, I guess they have an organization or something like that, but they called and they were like, hey, we, we wonder if you guys could feed us breakfast. And like, I, I can say it now, but I already told them, yep, we're going to do it. <laughs> I didn't even, I had not even looked into to asking, hey, can we even do this? I just like, yep, we're going to do this. Because here's the thing, I saw an opportunity to love on some people for Christ. Did we have other stuff planned that day? Yep. We did. Did, did we have to, to work some things in order to get the funding for it? Yep, we did. But the thing is, is we just... We should never be people who pull back from telling someone that Jesus loves them. And that's exactly what we did to like 60 plus people that day. We fed them biscuits. Apparently my wife can make some really good chocolate gravy. We didn't even know. Like she's never made it before. She makes this chocolate gravy and everybody's like, that's just like my grandma's. And I was like, she's never even made it before, but okay. Chocolate gravy, white gravy, sausage, biscuits. It's a great meal. I'm getting hungry. That's not all we did for these guys. What they felt was a love of Jesus. Some of the coaches are Christians and like they recognize that. What, what I love is I, I get this, I'm getting this lately a whole lot, is that McLeod Schools looks to our church now when they need something. Well, they're using us. Yep, <laughs> I hope they are. Because every time they use me, I get to preach the gospel to them. Every time they use us, our youth pastor got to preach the gospel to them. That's a good thing. Like we need to be a part of our world, do we not? That, that this is exactly it. It is dangerous. That maybe at one time, maybe the school like was like, oh, we don't want Christians in here. I, what I found in the last about year and a half is that we've had a lot of opportunities to go into the school and preach the gospel in the last year and a half. I don't know what's, in, in a couple of years, this might just be a Christian school up on the hill here. I don't know. But I do know this. <clears throat> How do, we, how do we touch people in our communities? How do we touch people in our churches? It's, it's by the power of the gospel. And I know in churches, a lot of times we're really good to help each other out in the church, right? Other Christians, it's really good to reach out and to minister to people. And we need to do that. Like we need to have these ministries within the church. Your men's ministries, your women's ministries, your youth ministries. We're, we're, we're discipling people and loving people and encouraging people in their walks. But also we need to, to balance that with us going out into the world and preaching the gospel to people who don't know Jesus at all. We need to be doing that. Man. Because if we're not doing that, we're missing the whole point of what church is all about. It's not just one-sided. You know, if I love you guys, I look around here and I see, man, there's all these people I love in McLeod. I, over a little over a year ago, I didn't know any of y'all. And now it's like, man, we're like brothers and sisters in Christ. I feel like we're like, you know, we've, we've got history now, right? A whole year. We got a whole year of history, you know, a whole year of you, of you guys laughing at my hilarious jokes. You know, I mean, it's just been great, right? No. The common bonds of the gospel, is it not? As we progress, I mean, I think it's great that we're all together and we enjoy each other's company, but as we progress, this crowd ought to be ever-changing. There ought to be new people coming in. And there are. Don't get me wrong. Man, there's a lot of new faces here that weren't here a year ago. That's a, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Don't give all the credit to Brother Daniel, okay? Who's doing the work here? It's the Holy Spirit, right? This, this group should be changing all the time, not just new people coming in, but some of y'all going out, <laughs> right? 
Some of y'all going out and doing ministry elsewhere where God may call you. And the reason is because the gospel is powerful. It's going to empower us. The gospel is life-changing. It's going to change us. But man, the gospel is dangerous. It's going to rock our world. Joni and the kids, uh, we love something. This is, this is one of our big pastimes. We love big roller coasters. The bigger, the badder, the more scarier, the more deadly they are, the better we like them, okay? I have a lot, like a love-hate thing with these sometimes. Because there's, there's always like a moment for me uh, when I walk up to a really big roller coaster, I'm like, eh, maybe I shouldn't do this. But I do it anyways. Because I can't let Jet know that. Even though I just let him know that. I'm not scared of roller coasters. But anyways, like we, we, we go ride these roller coasters. We love them, right? Like it's a, it's a joy. It's dangerous. The, the one thing I, I found is that the biggest rides that I've ever been on the most dangerous, the ones that, you, that your body just tells you don't get on that one, that's the ones you have the most fun on in the, in the heat of the moment. There's one at a Silver Dollar City called Wildfire. My favorite ride. I love Wildfire. Anybody ever rode that here? So Wildfire is basically, it takes you up like a million miles into the sky, right? And you get to the top and it just kind of hangs you there for a second. And, and there is actually a point, if you're in the back, you don't even know where you're going. But, but the roller coaster does this. Like, it curves back on itself as it's going down. So you cannot see the bottom at all. Love that ride. And in those moments, like, you just feel like you're flying. And, like, every time I always hold my head up so I can keep seeing the beautiful mountains around Branson. You're flying. Church, I want to tell you something. If we're living by the power of the gospel, it's like that, but it's like that every single day, or it should be. But the Lord's taking us on adventures that, yep, they're dangerous. Man, it's changing people's worldviews all the time. It's changing people's worldviews. It's changing my worldview all the time. It's dangerous to sin-ridden lives. It's dangerous to a world that's against God. It's dangerous to the things of this world. And all this tells me today is that we need to be more focused on the gospel every single day of our lives. More and more and more. What do we need to do in our CA groups more? Preach the gospel more, you know? Man, I was super pumped. I went back to the night and there's a picture of my ugly face and Jesse's beautiful face on the wall, right? They've been praying for us. Why? Because they know we're going to go take the gospel somewhere and they want everything to be good so that we can go over there and the people's lives may be changed. I mean, some of the prayers are literally like, you know, praying for the people now that we're going to talk to when we get there. I was like, those are great prayers. The gospel. We should, we should, be, we should be living that, that dangerous life for the gospel every single day. It's not just something where we, we keep it here. Because honestly, if we're, just, if we're just feeding who's here now, in 10 years, there won't be anybody here. People move, people pass on, people get mad, people this, people that. We have to be consistently preaching the gospel. And isn't it a good message? It is, isn't it? To wrap things up this morning, I, I, I love that we're kind of paralleling, paralleling uh, Paul and some of his teachings, Saul, some of his teachings later when he's Paul. Second um, Timothy, you can mark this. I, I think I put them up on the notes this morning, but Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor. He's writing to them and and he's wanting to encourage them. Actually, in the last part of chapter 3, he reminds Timothy to do something that's very, very important. And I want you guys to hear what he says later. He says, preach the word. All right? Everybody hear that? 
But he prefaces this thought of preaching the word with this encouragement or this uh, data briefing, right? He's getting him together. He's like, okay, here's how it's going to be. Look at verse one in chapter three. He says, but understand this, right? In other words, Timothy, this is important. This is, this is, this is Paul through a letter grabbing Timothy's face and saying, but understand this. In the last days, there will become times of what? Difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, and conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. I wonder if, how many times Paul said that out loud. And I look at that, that's, that's Paul speaking that century, right? Does it not look like today as well? Do you not see people who are lovers of money, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're disobedient to their parents? <laughs> he was talking about some kids there, right? I know none of y'all were ever disobedient to your parents. Ungrateful, unholy. He, he goes through all these like, like just terrible things that we see in society. It was no different. It's no different now than it was then. People were still dealing with these things. But he says that they appear godly. Like there's all this negative stuff, right? And he says they appear godly, but what? They deny the power of God. You know what that tells me today? Is that we can appear godly, but if the gospel's not powering us, then it's all pointless. I think it's probably true, not so much maybe here. If it is, it's speaking to you, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you now, and and that's something you need to, to pray about. But if you just harbor sin, if you harbor these horrible things that he says that people are going to be like in the last times, which by the way, the last times is not like a specific time frame here when you're reading to the original language here. He's actually talking about like an epic or a time frame as, as far as grace. As far as until Jesus comes back, this is the way it's going to be. It's really what it's saying here. And this idea of difficulty, it's not just difficulty in the sense of uh you know, well, you know, the, the government's going to, they may want to start taking taxes from churches. That's not what he's talking about here. That, that word difficulty actually means savage or perilous. In other words, you might die. But in the end times, it's going to be this way. I have to, I have to say so a, a little point of warning is that I, I believe that the American church, that we're about to get a wake-up call in a lot of ways because there's a lot of stuff going really bad in America right now. And I don't just mean from your government. I'm talking about people in general. I'm more scared of them than I am the government. If a guy's willing to walk into a church and shoot up the place, which we've seen time and time and time and time again, that's a scary time to live in. For what? Because we've preached the gospel. But before he tells him, hey, you, you just keep preaching. He says, I want you to understand that this is the, this is the condition of your society, this is the condition of maybe your church, that people are going to have the appearance of godliness. In other words, they're going to think that whatever they do is right. But they deny its power. Isn't it cool we were just talking about how the gospel is the power? And Paul knew that. He understood that the gospel is power. And he says people are going to look holy. They're going to look like the gospel's changing them, but it's not really happened. 
and they deny its power. And he says this to avoid those kind of people. To avoid those kind of people who are not true in their faith. That's a call for the church to be real in Jesus. Does everybody hear that this morning? It's a call for us to be 100% real. And when we come together, man, we're not like, a, you know, some people earlier in the book of Acts who said they were giving money and then they didn't. And there was that whole, you know, they fell dead. <laughs> There's an important lesson there we've already talked about. Uh, you, you have people who, who maybe just were not so dedicated to the work of the gospel. This is a time for the church to come together. That if you've been here 50 years or if this is your first year in our church, if we're coming together, let us be focused on the gospel. Let the church say amen to that. Let us be of one mind, one faith, one hope, one baptism. This is what we are. This is what defines us. This is what separates us from the rest of the world. That's That we are people who understand that there is power in the blood of the Lamb. I know it's a, it seems scary to say, man, you know, that in the last times there's going to be difficulties. And that, that idea of difficulty is that word savage or that word perilous. I know that seems scary to you, but we've already mentioned one thing about the gospel today. The gospel is dangerous. The gospel is savage. A few years ago, the young people were always saying savage. That's savage, man, you know. Y'all's language change, changes so much. It's like different every week. There's different words, you know. I remember when I was in high school, we would make up words. When I was in high school, we used to say, that's plaid. That meant that's cool. Anybody say plaid in here? Okay. No. That's plaid. That's plaid. Okay. But the gospel is, is savage. It's, the gospel is perilous. Are we going against the world that's savage and perilous? Yep, but man, the gospel goes right back at it and the gospel is more powerful than it. There's a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot quench that light. It's perilous. It's savage to the constructs of this world. J.C. Ryle, he says this, he says, let his blood, speaking of Jesus, let his blood be more precious in our eyes every year that we live. Whatever else we glory in about Christ, let us glory above all things in his cross. The cross should be that center message in everything we do. Let's not just glory in the fact that, man, you know, the church is like this, this really big organization around the world. Let's glory in the fact that that exists because the cross of Jesus happened. That Jesus shed his blood for you and me. Do you guys hear that today? It's nothing you've done. I know you may think, man, I've, I've given a lot of money. I've, I've been a member of this church. I've done this. I've done that. Yeah, but none of that matters if you haven't been bought by the blood of the Lamb. None of it. And so we become a people who are focused upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross and what it did for mankind. And we're missing the whole point. If our gospel-centered lives are not being broadcast to the world, then what's the point? I was so blessed this week. We went to... Our associational uh, director's house today had a bunch of preachers there talking. It was really loud. I was glad that we went outside because preachers talk a lot, you know. But we went to this dinner and we were just kind of sitting around. And one thing I kept hearing is about how God is doing this and doing that in the churches. And I love hearing that. Because honestly, a lot of times I go around a bunch of preachers and they're talking about, well, my church this and my church that. And I, I always just kind of like, oh, okay, I don't want to hear you. It's not your church. I mean, 
I think it's a pastor. I take great pride in you guys, right? This is this is this is our this is our people here. But this is God's church. And the reason it's God's church is because it's God's message that makes his church possible. That the gospel's powerful, it's life-changing, and it's dangerous to whatever the world throws our way. Man, let us cling to the gospel. Let the church say amen. amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this day. Father, as we go into this time of worship, Lord, I, I pray that there be anyone in this place who does not know you. That as these, as these words begin to be sung, these beats begin to be beat, these, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to these altars today. Lord, we know that we've all fallen short of your glory. We've all sinned, but the gift of God is eternal life. Lord, would you draw people to you today who may not know you? God, if there be anyone in this place today who's never asked you to be their Savior, Father, by your Holy Spirit's power, I pray that you would draw them to the front here today. Lord, maybe they've never followed you in baptism. They've, they've, they've said yes, but they've never been fully obedient. Maybe they've never joined your church, God, to, to commit their work to you. God, I pray today that these decisions would be made. And God, would you send your church from here, a church that is on fire, a church that is proclaiming the gospel, a church that God is bringing you glory in your most holy name. Amen.